Welcome to the Overcoming Adversity Podcast, where it's all about a transformational growth and having a resilient mindset. I'm your host, Michael Allison. And before we get started, make sure you like and subscribe to the channel. Today, a guest of mine had a real gut punch when she learned that she had a genetic mutation that gave her 87% chance of breast cancer and 55% of ovarian cancer. In three months, she had a preventive double mastectomy, hysterectomy, while also caring for her mother, who was dying of cancer. This lady has fared her own fair share of uh, adversities, but she learned how to turn her creativity into art, and she also became an author. Let's welcome to the show my good friend, Miss Eva Moon. Hello. It's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> Eva, thank you so much for joining me and being here. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here on the podcast. You know, thank um, you. I... Uh, was listening to uh, some of the things that you have done before, um, read through your bio, and I was saying this woman has been through some insurmountable amount of um, things in her life, adversities, and for her to come on here and share her story and share it with the world, I know that there are some other people in this world that could have been facing some of these same things or going through currently right now, and I just think <laughs> it would just be absolutely inspiring for her to share her story of what she was going through, what she was dealing with, and um, how she had had to get through that using um, all of these uh, creative ideas that you came up with to um, get through this situation. So thank you for being here. Absolutely, it's my pleasure. So let's jump into it. Let's let's uh, talk a little bit about. Um, you have a book uh, that you uh, put out. And, yes, um, I do. So let's talk a little bit about the book. Tell us uh, what the book is about, and um, let's uh, go down that road. Yeah. Well, actually, the 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 book is sort of came out of um, all the processing of the experiences that I went through, even though it seems like it's completely unrelated. Uh, Pinocchio's Guide to the End of the World is a historical fantasy that follows the life of Pinocchio after he became human. And uh, I think the thing that drew me to him as a character was that everyone assumes that he, once he got his wish that, you know, once he became a real boy, uh, that that was happily ever after. That was it. That that was, you know, his wish had come true and life would be wonderful. And I really questioned that um, because I don't think that we're necessarily great predictors of what's going to make us happy or what's not going to make us happy uh, in, in, in the future in our future selves, because I had some real surprises uh, after the things that I went through. Mm -hmm. And I think that even though um, Pinocchio's transformation was wished for, and mine was not, uh, he, I, I, I think that uh, he became sort of a spokesperson for me of uh, the disconnect between, sometimes you feel between your internal self and your external self, the, the the face you present to the world and how you feel on the inside. And I wondered, you know, after he became human, he, you know, he had just been given this body, but inside, didn't he still feel like the same person? Don't you feel like the same person, even though your body has changed over the years and through the, uh, the traumas that you've experienced? Uh, so that uh, has, the idea has fan, fan, uh, fascinated me. And uh, 
but I also like adventure. So I set his story in the years uh, between World War One and World War Two in, in Europe during the rise of fascism, which felt relevant to me to the current times. Um, and uh, he has quite a journey of self-discovery and as well as saving the world. So I think it's uh, a lot of fun and uh, as well as thought provoking. And, Absolutely. Thank yeah. you for sharing that. Um, so I wanted to start off with that because your story resonated so much to me that I wanted to um, see if there was something that you was pulling from the book in regards to why you tied the story to, um, to that. I wanted to ask you, so how did you first find out about a genetic mutation? And after hearing that for the first time, what was your reaction like? Yeah, well, my mother um, had had cancer and recovered from it. And then um, years later, it came back again. Um, and it looked like it was going to be terminal at that point. And because of the type of cancer, um, that she had and because of our family history uh, they gave her a genetic test for um, the brca mutation which is um, a mutation that brings an 87 percent chance of breast cancer and a 55 percent chance of ovarian cancer uh, plus smaller uh, increased risks for um, melanoma and pancreatic cancer and she tested positive for the mutation. Uh, so that meant that my sisters and I had, we each had a 50-50 chance of having inherited the same mutation from her. So of course my sisters and I got tested right away. And uh, I tested positive for the mutation. And thankfully my sisters both tested negative. Um, and I think that how I felt at the time was, uh, sort of gut punched, as I said in the, the intro. Um, but ultimately, I think it was, if, if any one of the three of us was to have a positive uh, outcome, I was the best one to have it because I love attention. <laughs> I got <a> lot. <laughs> Uh, but it, it, you know, it, it threw me for a real loop because I had always been a musician and a performer and an entertainer. And I was on stage. I was a cabaret singer and I was, you know, uh, I wear, you know, sexy clothes and high heels. And, and, and I had this persona of uh, the, you know, being a, a, a attractive woman and an attractive performer. And all of a sudden, I was looking at um, major surgeries. They wanted, you know, within three weeks of finding out that I was positive for this genetic mutation, I had a hysterectomy. I mean, everything happened so fast. And, I, and then I had, was already doing research and scheduling to have a double mastectomy. And I'm thinking, well, I'm never going to go on stage again. I'm never, you know, I didn't feel like writing. I didn't feel like singing. I didn't feel like playing. I didn't want to be, uh, I didn't want to go from being my sexy cabaret singer to being, you know, mastectomy girl for the rest of my life. I thought, okay, this is it. I'm, I'm, I'm off the grid now. Um, 
And, you know, I was, we were dealing with, so I was dealing with uh, my surgeries and my recoveries and my mother was getting sicker and sicker and sicker. And we were trying to move her from Atlanta out to Washington where we all live. And, um, but, you know, having been a, a musician all my life, um, that actually came back despite my conviction that I was done. And I, I was having a difficult time expressing to my husband what it meant to me to lose my breasts and how, you know, that it changed my, the way I viewed myself and my identity and my breasts and my hysterectomy, all my girly bits, you know, were, were going away and what, it, it, my identity as a woman. Right. Uh, so I wrote a song because that's what I do when I'm struggling with something. And right. I wrote a song about how I felt um, about my change of identity um, called Where Are You Now, My Dancing Girl? And I played it for him and I sang it for him. And we both cried and, uh, and, and that was the first moment that he really got it. And it opened up an avenue of communication for us over this very difficult topic. Uh, but I wasn't going to, you know, do anything with it. I, that was, that was it. I was still done. But then as I was going through um, my surgeries and, and, you know, when you go through um, surgeries, even if they're major surgeries, there's all kinds of um, crazy stuff that happens and humorous stuff, silly things, you know, little frustrations, uh, strange coincidences. Uh, uh, I started seeing the ridiculousness of all of, you know, trying to deal with insurance and, and all these things that were were going on. And so I ended up writing another song um, about my mastectomy called Tata Tatas. <laughs> See, and that's a reaction you're supposed to have. <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> That's why I like doing this podcast. And I was telling you that every single week that I interview someone, it's always like some amazing story that I hear, man. And just having this interaction, going back and forth and just learning something new, man, it's amazing. <laughs> you made my day. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm glad about that. Um, anyway. So I wrote that song. It was a humorous song uh, about major surgery uh, because that's how I deal with things. Right. Um, and uh, a friend of mine who's sort of a mentor, um, she's a, a perform stage performer and a singer like me who's, who's been on Broadway. And um, she said, well, you ought to do a show about this whole thing. Mm -hmm. And I said, oh, no, 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 never. I'm not going to do a show. I, I didn't want to be mastectomy girl. This would just seal the deal. Um, 
But then I couldn't get the thought out of my head that I had these two songs and I just started messing around and writing some, starting to write out the story when I thought I would never write again. Mm-hmm. And it just sort of, the dam burst and I just started writing and uh, in a couple of weeks, uh, I had nine songs and a one hour show about this whole experience of, uh, from learning I had the, the um, mutation to recovering from everything and, and you know what I had learned and going forward. And it wasn't a downer show. I mean, it had some um, tragic stuff in it, of course, but it right. also had a lot of humor. And the first time I performed this show, was for my mother in hospice just a few days before she passed. Oh, wow. And my family was there, my father and my aunt and uncle and my sisters. And of course, we were all just weeping. (laughs) But I could, you know, my mother at that point, she was not able to um, speak or really communicate. But um, I could see from little reactions in her face that she was following my story and that uh-huh. you know and and she had smiles for me and uh and i've done the show a lot of times since then uh-huh. um but there was there's no performance of it that's going to be more meaningful than that than that one absolutely um so that show was called um, The Mutant Diaries, Unzipping My Jeans. <laughs> and I've performed it across the US and I've done it twice in the UK. And it's streaming on Amazon, actually, if anyone wants to watch it, The Mutant Diaries. I'm gonna Amazon. check it out. Thank you for sharing that. Sure. So, I know that there is some um, humor and there's some seriousness uh, with your story and your experience. And I wanted to ask you, when you were going through your diagnosis and you were telling me that you had to share your story with your husband and you had to share it with him through um, being creative and creating a song, what was it like now when you're actually going through this day to day and you're going through all the types of treatments and things like that and dealing with all of the doctors like you said insurance companies family and friends and cognitively you're thinking like your career is over and you're not going to make it back on stage what was your mindset like so what was it what were you thinking about in regards to all of that and then what who or what was it that you were um, speaking to, talking to in regards to like comfort, some sort of motivation, some sort of support while you was going through all this? Well, I don't want to pretend like I was, you know, some miraculous expert on dealing with trauma. Um, I cried a lot. Um, I, I raged. I... Um, stayed in bed, (laughs) tried to bury it, you know, at times. Um, But 
I think you know taking steps uh, helped a lot. There was a lot to do, you know, and I, and I think that having a lot to do was really helpful. I have a um, a bracelet that I made for myself. I don't think I have it right here that I can show it to you. Um, it's got a little emblem on it that I made that says just start. Mm. And and it's kind of how I, I deal with things when I feel like I, I can't do anything is that maybe I can do one thing. You know, if I have a stack of bills in my inbox and I can't face looking at them, it's just overwhelming. Well, maybe I can like, I'll just open one envelope and then I can stop. You know, just start, just do one thing, make one phone call, look up one thing you want to learn about. Um, and if, then if you want to stop, stop, you give, I gave myself permission. Right. And of course, once you start, I never stopped at just one envelope because, uh, because the, the main resistance is in starting. So that was that was a huge help, and and just having to deal th with things um, took me out of myself a little bit, uh, and I think you know you learn uh, along the way that you know every every time you do something and it doesn't end in disaster, <laughs> you learn that uh, uh, well maybe. Maybe that's going to be okay. And then if you do something and it does end in disaster, and then the next day you pick up and just start something else, you go, okay, well, maybe it's not over. Uh, it's you may have you may have come across this analogy. Imagine that you're you're walking, you're carrying a cup of coffee, mm -hmm. and someone jostles you, someone bumps into you, and you spill right, your right. coffee. Why? If someone asks you why you spilled your coffee, what would you say? If someone asked me if I spilled my coffee, I would say someone hit me, bumped me, or something like that. Um, but I would just, you know, it'd be a simple answer like that. I would, I would not uh, deflect or, or put blame on anybody else or something like that. So. Yeah. Well, um, think about it this way: you spilled coffee not because someone jostled you, but because there was coffee in your cup. If you'd had tea in your cup, you would have spilled your tea. Mm. And uh, if you and, and and I think we're the same way that life is going to jostle you, no matter who you are. Right, right. Something's right, yeah. going to happen that's going to shake you up, and you know this. Right. And right. what comes out is what's inside. So I think that in small ways, we can be mindful about what we're filling ourselves with. Because when we get jostled, when adversity hits, that's what's going to come out. That's what, you're, that's what you're left with, is what you filled yourself with. Right. So how do you, you know, react to small frustrations in life? Do you laugh them off? Do you harbor resentment? Do you um, stew about the past and, and are filled with regret? Um, do you close up or do you accept the help of others mm -hmm. with an open heart? And I think that 
you don't really know how resilient you are until you're tested, but I think anyone can prepare themselves for in the inevitable adversity that's going to come by practicing being aware of what you're filling yourself with because that's what you've got those are the, those are your resources definitely i um i love uh your analogy i love your explanation and speaking about resilience and awareness you know that's something that uh we talk about and the concept that we always um, mention is uh, breaking the bottle. You mentioned so many emotions that people bottle in and put inside of a bottle and never choose to express it. And they just bottle in, bottle in, and then the reaction could be so adverse. And I love the fact that you learned how to challenge that, channel that in regards to um, getting, getting creative. You know what I mean? So with what you chose to do, can you talk to me about the, uh, where did you get like all of the juices, all of the, uh, all, everything just started flowing, said, I'm going to create, I'm going to, I'm going to create some songs. I'm going to create a musical. And then I'm going to take this on the road. I'm going to perform this for my mom. I'm going to take this across the United States. Where did, where, what sparked that for you? I have no idea. <laughs> um, I mean, I've, I've been a creative person from early, you know, my earliest memory. And uh, I've always like, you know, anything. I mean, kids like to draw, you know, they like to sing and dance. Um, and uh, I studied, you know, piano when I was a child and, uh, it, music has always moved me. Um, so it's not like I specifically planned, you know, like I talked about what you being mindful of what you fill your cup with. Right. Um, I didn't, I didn't know that this was going to happen. Uh, I, it came out of complete left field, but, um, it just turned out for me that I had been filling my cup with creativity my whole life. And so that's what I had, that those were the tools that I had to deal with what was going on in my life. Now people may have different things that, um, that might help them, uh, that they'd been filling their cup with their whole lives. They might have an incredible work ethic or they may have, um, uh, strong um, interpersonal relationships that, you know, they really um, connect with other people. Uh, there's a, a, a not one path that's going to lead you to resilience. For me, it was uh, music and, and humor. I, I come from a family of uh, laughter. You know, my mother I always was laughing and finding funny things to read to us. I remember we'd sit around the kitchen table and she'd read stories to us that, that she could, we, I mean, we couldn't breathe. We were laughing so hard and she couldn't read. She had to stop reading because she couldn't, she couldn't catch her breath from laughing. So those were my, you know, big influences as, as a child. I, I didn't come from a musical family. That was just something that, um, I don't know where it came from, <laughs> but I love it. I love it. I love it as well. I, uh, as you're telling me that, you know, 
so growing up, um, my mom used to tell us like these scary stories um, that her family used to tell her. I'm not sure if you're familiar with like old fables around Anansi. Oh, so, yeah. Um, yeah. So she used to tell us a lot of stories around that and used to have a sit around and just, um, just laugh all the time. And I just love that when she used to incorporate that with our family. And also, um, what I thought was pretty cool growing up was that I had a sister that uh, could sing. She could really sing. Mm -hmm. And um, she used to just sing around the house. And I could just see how those songs that she was singing would change the mood and inspire everybody in the house just to think much more positive. Mm -hmm. I wanted to ask you, what was your childhood like? And what was it like growing up? And then any, anything that you may have faced in your childhood that sparked some adversity and things like that? And how did you get past that? But I also wanted to see what was your childhood like in regards to leading you to the um, career path in regards to like being an entertainer and stuff like that? I, you know, it's not really an interesting story. I, I, I was so lucky growing up, you know, middle-class America and, uh, um, my parents were encouraging. I was, I was never abused. Um, I, I mean, I, I've been so lucky and I've been lucky. My, I even consider the BRCA1 genetic mutation to have been a stroke of luck. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's turned out to have transformed my life in so many positive ways. And, you know, it's, it's my mutant superpower <laughs> because. <laughs> I, I figure my mutant superpower, I mean, if you're going to have a mutation, you might as well have a superpower with it, right? Right, right. <laughs> so my mutant superpower because of this was I got to change my future. I got to act before I was struck down by cancer. Mm -hmm. And there are so many people who weren't that lucky. Mm -hmm. It just, they were just blindsided by the disease itself without any chance to head it off. So I consider everything that I went through to be, um, I, I consider myself fortunate mm -hmm. to have gone through all of that. And I don't, uh, I don't regret anything. I never ask why me. So for someone that could be in the same shoes that you once walked in, what is some uh, advice or some words of encouragement that you could share with um, our listeners or someone that has been going through that situation right now? Well, I've, I've met a lot of people along this journey um, who are going through this. I mean, that's one of the reasons that I have performed the show across the U.S. Um, and uh, everywhere that I have. Uh, it's frequently been for audiences of uh, people who are going through cancer or have learned that they have a genetic mutation. Um, I performed it at the um, National Conference of Genetic Counselors, um, and I've talked about um, trauma and resilience at uh, cancer uh, international conventions. 
Um, and it's been very rewarding to talk to people after the show. You know, they come up to me and they share their stories. And what was that like for you? It's it's so moving when I can see that something that they've been so worried about um, that I've been able to at least, if nothing else, be an example of someone who got through it so that they can see that there's another side, there's an after, there's a possibility of going on. I remember one show, it was um, in Philadelphia, and after the show, a woman and her husband came up to me, and they were both crying. Oh. And she said, uh, they told me that her mother had died of cancer five years earlier. And this day, at this night, uh, was the first time that she had been able to cry in five years. And it just, it, I guess it was a release for them. They were both so grateful to have made that, you know, cross that um, difficult transition from holding all that grief in to finally letting it go, letting it out. So I started crying too, of course. <laughs> and we hugged, you know, they bought my DVD and, <laughs> um, and it's, it's not always easy. You know, I was fortunate, um, but I've talked to people who are on, on more difficult paths. You know, they, they found out too late. Um, and I just do what I can to help them, you know, find, at least reach out and, and share their stories. Um, or at least take their mind off of it for a few minutes. It's like when you take, a, a, if, you, if you have a headache and you take an aspirin, well, the aspirin, Maybe your pain goes away. The aspirin didn't really cure your headache. Right, right. It just took the pain away while you took your headache, while your headache took itself away, while your, <laughs> your body healed itself. So um, I think of my show or, mm -hmm. or any kind of escape and entertainment as um, you know, sort of an aspirin for your soul, but it gives you a, a respite from mm -hmm. the trauma in your life that you can just forget about it uh, and for a little while and it's okay, you know, it'll still be there when you get back. <laughs> but uh, um, it, it having, having rest and having a break um, gives your body a chance to show how resilient you can be. How, how do you maintain a level of balance when it comes to sharing your personal story and like maintaining like some privacy, because your experience is uh, quite significant. Like there's, you're talking, we're speaking about breast, breast cancer. We're talking about genetic mutation. And I, I, I would like to think that some of these things are some sensitive topics. So you chose to put it all out there and, um, you know, share, share with the world. Did you did you 
did that bother you or did you like second guess yourself before you even like jumped out there and say, I'm going to do this, like maintaining my level of uh, privacy? Um, that wasn't a problem for me um, personally. I, I decided that I was going to put it all out there. And I especially decided I was going to put it all out there a year after all of this happened. Um, Angelina Jolie was in the news that she, it turned out she had the same genetic mutation, the BRCA1 mm -hmm. mutation, and she had a double mastectomy. Um, and so it was all over the news uh, and people were just, they couldn't believe it. Oh, if she had brain cancer, would she cut her head off? And I mean, just, just the oh most ridiculous God. thing. So at oh that point, God. even though it had, was a year later and I was already doing this show, um, it was a really good opportunity for me to say, hey, wait a minute. You know, <laughs> you're, are you really saying that her her breasts are as important as her head? <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and to, you know, people couldn't understand why you would have a preventive uh, preventive certain preventive amputation and so it was a great opportunity for me to educate people and I started a column I started writing for Huffington Post um, I, I had a column called ask the mutant and I did an ask me anything on reddit um, and in my show I mean I, I'm an open book I I'll, I'll answer Anything. I think I had the only the areas where I had to be careful where was where I would possibly tread on other people's privacy, like my husband. Right. Right. Um, and I, you know, there are parts of my show that do make him a little uncomfortable, but he understands why I need to talk about, you know, the his my you know how things changed in my relationship with him in terms of intimacy. Um, and I tried to be. A little delicate about it, but uh, I mean, anyone going through an experience like this, you know, you can't shove sexuality under the rug and pretend like it doesn't exist. That was one of the things that people most wanted, other women most wanted to hear about was, you know, is there sex after this, or is there? Uh, uh, how does how does you know how did your husband react? to all the scars and um as i have i measured them once i have uh, 65 inches of scars and uh, if we laid them end to end they'd be taller than me <laughs> wow. um so no i i'm i i'm willing to talk about anything you know i just try to be um not too graphic uh, in terms of things that would be that would step on someone else's toes but for me personally um it's been the most healing for me to be able to be open and to answer people's questions and um, tell them things that they need to hear Got it. Uh, in a in a in a frank and open way so my follow-up question that I was going to ask you was, if you're okay with sharing, was going through what you've been through, were there any types of setbacks that you did experience when it came to either like your personal relationships with family, your husband, family members, or anything like that? Let's say you wanted to go to the beach, you want to go to the pool. 
if you wanted to um, hang out with um, a group of girlfriends and things like that and some of the conversations that they may have. So what were some setbacks or some things that you encountered or experienced? And what was that like for you? How did you and how did you get past or to get through some of those situations? Boy, that's a it's a tough question um, in terms of relationships. Um, I've been fortunate. Uh, there's things that I've lost that, uh, you know, like physical sensation, um, you know, body parts that I was quite fond of. Uh, and uh, I mean, I've got, you know, new breasts that are really nice looking, but they're completely numb. Mm -hmm. And I still miss, I still miss my breasts. Um, but it's just time, you know, o over time, I think about it less. I still think about it sometimes, but um, what can you do? I mean, if something's gone, it's, it's gone. And uh, you find ways to, to compensate and you find other things to care about. Um, you throw yourself, you throw yourself into other activities. Uh, certainly my creativity is, has uh, served to take my mind off of um, losses. Uh, I, I took up, I'd been playing piano and singing for, for most of my life. I took up ukulele and, uh, um, and now I'm like leading jams and sing-alongs <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, 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 for all during the entire pandemic, I did two, um, twice a week for three years, uh, zoom, sing along play along jam sessions uh, uh for people who were locked in and some of whom you know lost spouses to covid uh and and were just so thankful to have an hour a couple times a week when they didn't have to think about anything but just maybe having some fun and playing some music so i guess it's a distraction um i don't know if i'm answering your question no, that's fine. It's fine. Um, like I said, uh, it was just more so from the standpoint of what you were comfortable with sharing, you know, so as as a man, and I'm thinking of what would it be like if my wife was to go through some situation like this? What would that be like for us? And what would those conversations be like? Would they be tough conversations? Um, what would it be like when we're at the doctor and things like that? Um, if my wife was to lose her breast or something like that, and she loves to go to the beach. And what would that be like for us going to the beach and would she want to turn away from going to the beach anymore? Or mm -hmm. when she's with her girlfriends hanging out and let's say they're going to the movies, they're, they're hanging out in the park or they're, they're on a girl's trip on a cruise or something like that. Would she want to go on those cruises? She, she's like, I don't want to go on that cruise because of my situation circumstance. So yeah, well, you, I, I mean, from a practical point of view, you should know that, um, it's the law in the U.S. that um, if your insurance covers a mastectomy, it also covers reconstruction. Okay, okay. Um, and reconstruction has gotten quite good. Mm -hmm. 
Um, it's not a choice that everyone makes, and that's fine. But if you want breasts, you can have them. <laughs> uh, and um, communication, you know, it, it's hard to, it was hard at times to talk about with, with him, with my husband. Uh, uh, and, you know, for me, uh, you know, putting it into a song made it, it sort of opened a door to talking about it, but it it wasn't easy. It was hard for him to, um, uh, he didn't really care about the changes to my body. I mean, that, you know, we've been together for so long it, it, that did, the, and the scars didn't matter to him. You know, what was, I think, hardest for him about seeing my scars was that in a sense it made him feel like he had failed as a man to mm. protect his family mm. that you know here he was my knight in shining armor and he wanted to you know his 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 damsel was in distress and he wanted to get on a on a horse and swing a sword at yeah. something and you know and this was genetics i mean it was nothing he could do so it made him feel just so helpless and mm. and and as a man and i don't mean to you know be sexist or anything but i i think that there's something there, there's there was certainly a part of him that that wanted that needs very deeply to protect his family right and going this was something he couldn't protect me from and he couldn't really even help me with other than being there and providing and you know bringing me soup um so that was that was something that that he had to deal with and of course that affected things for a while um as you know, in our communication, trying to to uh, get through this together, and and deal with it, I had to deal with my stress and my, and I was also trying to help take care of my mother, and uh, and then you know, and he's just feeling useless, and and that was really hard for him. Thank you for sharing that. If we could, let's uh, talk a little bit about uh, you being creative. So what does it take for someone to get super, super creative as you did, saying that I'm going to create a play. I'm going to write a book. I'm going to write a song. What does it take in regards to like the entire process for you as a creative person and say, hey, I'm going to start from here. I'm going to do this. And then I'm going to take this and put it on stage. I'm going to take this and bring it to conferences. I'm going to take this and bring it to people. I'm going to bring more awareness based off what I've been through to try to help people. Take us through that creative process, that creative space for you in regards for you to accomplish that. Because I think I think that's a tremendous big feat that you accomplished. Oh, thank you. Um, I, I, I must be crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so I, could, uh, I, you know, I don't think it wasn't a conscious decision of saying, okay, I'm going to therapy myself by writing songs or writing a play. I don't think, you know, 
writing a book. I mean, good heavens. I, I spent, you know, six or seven years working on this book. Uh, I, I think that, and it's so hard to, to get, you know, there's so many books out there. You can buy a perfectly good book for 10 bucks. You know, why would you spend seven years writing one? Uh, but I think it's because I didn't have a choice. Anyone who had any other choices, I recommend you do something else. <laughs> <laughs> this is so much work for so little reward. But I had these stories. I get these these ideas in my in my head and they and they really don't give me any rest until I get them out. And uh so you know, like with Pinocchio, um I I had to tell his story. I had to I I, I I mean, I can't think of any other reason why I would have spent so many thousands of hours working on this book if I didn't if I didn't have to. Um, but it 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 helped me to do it. And but I can't say what's the process by which I came up with the idea. I don't know. You know, people sometimes, they often ask me where my ideas come from. You know, where did you get an idea to do this or that or the other? And I don't really know. The inside of my, I think of the inside, let's imagine the inside of your brain is like a Costco. Okay. And everything that you've ever experienced and seen, that's just on the shelves. You can walk up and down the aisles. And you can say, oh, yeah, I remember that. And, oh, yeah, I, this happened. And everything's like you've got the, the work section. And you've got the, the relationship section. Well, my Costco has been hit by a tornado. Mm -hmm. And all the things are on the floor in no order. And so one thing touches up, you know, you know, don't know what's going to connect with what with something else you know, something from one aisle could be way over on the other side of the store and touch up connect with something that it has no actual connection with and that sparks something you know the way you know well this this bottle of bleach over here breaks and it mixes with that bottle of cleanser from over there and all of a sudden you've got a toxic gas cloud so as a creative person, I'm sort of the janitor. I sort of like sweep it all up and go, okay, well, what have we got here? <laughs> <laughs> and you never know. You never know. <laughs> so <clears throat> when it comes to the experiences that you've been through and the amount of resilience that you've shown based off all of the uh, emotions that you've dealt with and that you were carrying for so, so, so long. What are some uh, lessons or some advice that you could share with some of our listeners right now that are some key takeaways before we get out of here? I think a lot of it goes back to the analogy I made about the coffee cup that you can choose now in this moment to be uh, open to positive things in your life. You can choose to um, let go of regret 
or refocus away from regret, or you can choose to laugh off a frustration rather than get angry for a small frustration. Uh, I mean, you know, my sister was telling me the other day that her husband's um, mother uh, had Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. And um, she had a habit of reacting to every small frustration with anger and um, just impatience and anger and, and resentment. Mm -hmm. And as the rest of her experience and her mind was stripped away, that's what she was left with. And her, the end of her life was very sad because she didn't know what was going on and she was constantly angry and resentful and frustrated and scared. And right now, my own father is fairly well advanced in um, dementia. And in fact, I'm going to, as soon as we're done with this podcast, I'm going to see him. Um, but he's always been a kind person. He's always been a patient and quiet person. Um, and even though he's confused and frustrated by the changes that he's at this point still aware of what he's lost, um, he's able to shrug his shoulders and be at peace and uh, enjoy um, what small pleasures uh, remain to him seeing his daughters eating a good meal um, he still takes you know enjoyment because that's what he filled his life with the his when things were good so i think is be be mindful because you know at some point you're going to get jostled and that coffee cup is going to spill and you want to have good things spill out so speaking of that, did you ever face any like criticism or skepticism when it came to how you chose to uh, deal with um, your situations through humor, through humor? Did, did anyone ever like jostle you? Did anyone say, hey, why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? You shouldn't be doing this or, or telling jokes or getting Get, be creative, being creative the way you are about it while you're going through your um, situation? Um, not directly to my face. Mm -hmm. I worried about it sometimes that, you know, I didn't want people to think that I was making light of something that was serious. And I'm sure that there were people who felt that way, that I was making jokes about something that was serious, but I mean, you talk to doctors and nurses, you know, they, you, you, that's the survival thing. You have to be able to find humor or you're just going to spiral into despair. Um, I worried that people th would think I was being self-indulgent and, you know, thinking that, oh, I had it so terrible when there's people who had it much worse. Uh, in fact, I, I have heard those criticisms from people, mm -hmm. um, you know, 
uh, one person who um, had uh, with a stage zero breast cancer and had a, a lumpectomy, no chemo, and a week of radiation, which I don't discount the trauma of that because it, it really, you know, messes with your mind and a lot of things. But she dismissed what I went through as, you know, oh, it's like a flu shot. But she says, oh, you had, it was like you, you had yours was, you didn't, you know, you just had preventive mastectomy and hysterectomy. That's like getting a flu shot. Wow. Uh, so I, that, you know, it felt really, there's a certain element of competitiveness about trauma, I think. And you've probably uh, dealt with this in your uh, practice of people <laughs> saying, you know, uh, either saying, well, I had it worse or feeling like, oh, I don't deserve to feel bad because someone else has it worse. Right. And it's, you know, you just have to decide that it's not a competition. True. And you just have to do the best you can. So, I, you know, I'm sure there's people out there who think I was self-indulgent or wanting attention for my, my flu shot. But, um, but I also know, I know from my experience that I've helped a lot of people. Absolutely. Can you tell us a little bit of when it comes to how do you go about self-care for yourself? nowadays aside from um or, or if that's what it is aside from humor but how do you go about self-care for uh, eva the big thing it's still music um after i uh after i took up uh, the ukulele um I discovered that there's these groups of people all around the country who they're not musicians, they're not professionals. They just get together, you know, every week and play whatever songs they want to play for an hour or two hours or whatever. And they, and they have a lot of fun. And and I joined one of these groups to to learn, you know, to practice playing and I discovered this whole world of people who just make music for the fun of it. And I think we've gotten into this, this mindset, and I hear this all the time, that music is something that you listen to. It's not something that you make unless you're, you know, good enough to be on America's Got Talent. <laughs> um, or, you know, it's, a, that's, it, it's the realm of professionals. But it's something that's so innate. I think humans had music before they had language. Is what what you know enabled early humans to survive it was depending on each other and bonding with each other in in groups and any activity so power in music it's it's crazy it, you know when you're when you're doing a rhythmic activity together with other people you feel a connection with them i have felt this many times you feel you, you fall in love a little bit with the people that you're sharing this activity, this rhythmic activity with. And I think it's in our genes to, uh, to respond to rhythm in that way. And I, I was so, you know, sad that, that most people that I came into contact with, uh, weren't having this, this experience. So I went to my, um, city council here in Redmond and I said, we should have a monthly sing-along for everyone. And uh, 
And they said, that sounds great. And they gave me a room and some publicity. And I showed up there with my, with my ukulele and I got over a hundred people came to the first one. Oh my so God. there was a, there was a hunger for connection. And this was before, just before the pandemic, there was this hunger and this need and to, to gather and do something that was bonding and fun. And I think that that has been self-care for myself to run these sessions and for the people who come to feel um, a connection with their community. Uh, if we don't have connections with, if you don't have connections with your, the people who are around you, um, you're lost. Right. And so that's been so rewarding to be able to create that, that community for, for myself and for, for people around me. And we're still doing it. Uh, and we, we did it, you know, on Zoom for, for a few years, but now we're back to doing it with each other. And so making music, um, and people come up to me all the time and say, oh, well, you don't want me. I, I can't sing. I said, no, 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 I especially want you. <laughs> it's, it's not about how well you sing or how well you play. No one cares if there's a hundred people seeking, they're not going to hear you. You're not, you're not going to be asked to do a solo. Right. <laughs> and it, it brings you in the, even though I've been a musician my whole life, um, I'm all, I've always been, you know, like when you're rehearsing or practicing, you're thinking about what you're going to be using that music for. And when you're performing, you know, there's an element of you that's in the moment of the music, but there's also a split mind where you're thinking about the audience or you're thinking about the performance, or you're thinking about the next song. And when in these sing-alongs where there's no stakes, you can just be in that moment. You can just be right now, right here, making this sound with people all around you who are doing the same thing. And it's a completely different experience. And I want everyone to have that experience. Wow. So how has your uh, perspective on life and um, personal growth evolved since um, your initial diagnosis and now living this fabulous life that you're living now? <laughs> oh, uh, I'm just, I'm just so, I just, I feel so fortunate. You know, I, I have, I have a good life. I have, I have surrounded myself with people I love. Um, and, uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't take back any of it. Um, I'm not, I'm not sure how to even answer your question. I just, you know, wake up in the morning and there's a garden that needs something and there's food that needs cooking and there's friends that need reaching out to and there's, uh -huh. um, this time of year anyway we've got a little sunshine which is nice <laughs> um you know i'm i'm older now um my husband and i are he's retired um and uh i i would be re retired if i wasn't writing books <laughs> doing all this stuff <laughs> but uh, um i you know it's just I, I just try to to be in in each day as much as I can, and I don't think excessively about the future or the past. Mm. Wow.
So what are some uh, future goals and aspirations in terms of uh, the creative work that you, you, you're doing and just being an advocate? You know, I think um, you're, you're a strong um, advocate based off sharing your message, empowering women. So what are some future goals that you have, um, you have in plans or what are you thinking about doing for the future? Uh, music is always a part of it. Um, you know, now, now that we're coming out of the pandemic, um, there's more performance opportunities. Um, I play in a band. Uh, I have another book that I'm just starting to write. Um, I want to travel <laughs> and see more places. Uh, it, a lot of it is around creating community around uh, communal music. Uh, and that I want to do uh, more of that and create more opportunities for people to gather and uh, have that experience. Um, you know, I think in some ways my my goals are getting a little more close to home. Mm -hmm. um, but I still want people to buy my book, Pinocchio's Guide to the End of the World. <laughs> And I'm looking forward to, I've got um, a, a, some book clubs that are starting to pick, uh, pick it up and um, I'm uh, zooming into their sessions when they, they talk about the book and love to talk to people uh, about that. Uh, and uh, I don't know, just... Uh, try to enjoy this much i try trying I, I love hiking you know uh, um, getting outdoors um i love being healthy and you know certainly after you know having a brush with your mortality uh, and feeling like you know there was a you were close to death at, at some point um, you start to go okay i want to be i want to be here for my life right. um, for as much of it as i have because i know i mean you always know you're going to die everyone knows that after a certain age but you know you know it more viscerally after you've had a deep trauma yeah and 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 i'm okay with that um I, yeah i decided i'm okay with that and that it, you know the cancer could come back anyway i could you know get hit by a truck or whatever but uh um I want, you know, whenever that day comes to feel like I I got, you know, I gave and I got as as much as I was capable of giving and and receiving. Uh and it'll be okay. You know, the world will go on. Mm. <sighs> it has been a absolute pleasure to speak to you this evening to learn so much about your story for you to be so 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 transparent be so super authentic and give your perspective on what was your experience like interacting with people interacting with your family and then you said you know what i'm going to share this experience with the world because i know that there's so many people that's dealing with this experience that I've been through. I just want to tell mm -hmm. you, thank you so much for coming on here. I truly, truly appreciate it. 
Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. It's It's been a delight to meet you and I wish you great success. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. So if anybody wanted to uh, work with you, if anybody wanted to book in another podcast, if anybody wanted to have you come and speak at the conference, if anybody wanted to buy one of your books, if anybody wanted to um, have you as a keynote speaker or something like that, how can mm-hmm. they get in contact with you and, and work with you? I have a website. It's evamoon.net, E-V-A-M-O-O-N.net. There it is. And um, yeah, everything's there. You can contact me through my website and you can find out about my shows and my music and my books and my plays and on all of that. There's videos and links there. Um, And I'm happy to you know, I'm happy to talk one-on-one too with people who are going through traumas and I've done, you know, a fair amount of that too. So just, yeah, feel free to reach out. I'm here. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Eva, for being a guest uh, this week on the Overcome Adversity podcast. Until next time, guys, we love you. Peace. Thanks, Mike. Can't complain at all. Couple dollars in my pocket, no income and go. Been working on my body, getting healthier Thank God for clarity